Last week, we saw in verses chapter 4, 17 to 24, that Paul talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new. So he expands that into the next section by giving examples of what that looks like. He's talking about living the Christian life together in community. So our relationships, how we live out our faith, remembering to put off the old manner of life, how we used to live and putting on the new. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Strike the Original Match, takes the same passage and applies it toward marriage. And when I read that book, I thought, well, this is a very helpful, practical chapter on marriage advice. And so I, I used that chapter over the years in marriage advising. I thought it was just full of good principles. I always called it seven principles for fighting fair. I want to use that again today. So applying it toward marriage, but you say, well, I'm not married. I'm going to do a sermon on singlehood sometime in the new year, probably January sometime. But I want to focus it toward marriage today, but knowing that this the original intention was for church life and home life. So it really is applicable to everyone. You can find a place for application. Let's read our text. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So do you ever have conflict in relationships? Well, of course you do. As a human being, anytime two humans get together, there's the potential for conflict, be it at work, at home. It's inevitable. And it definitely happens in marriage, too. Humorist Dave Barry says marriage is a wonderful thing. Everyone should get married unless he or she has a good reason not to, such as he or she is the Pope. I personally have been married at least two times that I know of, and you don't hear me complaining. What's the secret of a happy marriage? Well, call me a romantic if you want, but for me, the answer is the same simple, beautiful idea that has been making relationships work for thousands of years. Separate bathrooms. You give two people room to spread out their toiletry items and you have the basis for a long lasting relationship. I don't know if in your home you feel like building a boxing ring in there and hiring Don King to be your manager. I want to go over some unhealthy ways in marriage, in the home that we deal with each other. Unhealthy. Number one, we ignore it. We ignore the problem. 
We pretend everything's okay. That is a real popular way of dealing with conflict at home. So let me ask, how's that working for you? Number two, withdrawal. Men tend to do this more than women. They don't want to deal with the conflict, so they retreat to the garage, to the wood shop, whatever, just to kind of get away from it. Nothing gets resolved that way. And the highest divorce rate is common for this way of dealing with conflict in marriage. Thirdly is to yield. The person who yield quickly apologizes. It's all my fault. You know, they just want peace at any price. They're still mad on the inside, though. A fourth unhealthy way of dealing with conflict in the home is to appease. Appease, which is similar to yielding, only this time the person buys gifts. They buy flowers and hope their mate just forgets about the problem. Fifth is the person whose idea is to win at all costs. This is your lawyer types who must make an airtight case. They'll yell, intimidate, sulk, injure, whatever it takes. They must win. And the sixth is, I don't get mad, I just get even. Kind of your passive aggressive person. They, they seem calm and gentle and sweet under the surface, but then there's that moment where they blow up. Do you see yourself in any of those scenarios? If you do, let me be the first to break this news to you. This is not good. These are not healthy, constructive manners for dealing with conflict in the church, in the home. So let's look at some healthy ways of dealing with conflict. Again, in the church, in the home. From our passage, the first is keep it honest. We see that in verse 25 in our text. Be real. Be honest in word and deed. Now, I wonder if there's always a little bit of dishonesty in most relationships, but especially in the dating relationship. Just think about that. You begin that relationship trying to put your best foot forward. The guys, they watch chick flicks or go shopping And she watches football or goes fishing. But once they're married, everybody just turns into their real self. Lying is to deceive. Of course, there's blatant, bold-faced lies. But there's also the lie of silence. You know, the menace of things unsaid. It's a serious sin. In Revelation 22:15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Seems like a pretty important sin and a serious sin, doesn't it, in that list? Paul says, stop it. It hurts the church. It hurts marriages. Marriages is where we learn to tell the truth, where we confess our sin where we share our feelings, where we really listen to what our mate is saying. It's good to ask clarifying questions if you're uncertain. So honest communication is the foundation and bedrock of a strong marriage, home, church life. A second principle is to keep it under control. Keep it under control. We see that from the first part of verse 26. There was a bumper sticker that said, we're all mad. And boy, ain't that the truth? 
right now in our country. Now, I have to admit, this is a really hard subject for me to talk about anger because I know so little about it. But I will do my best to talk about it to help you. I I hope you see my tongue firmly in my cheek there. Now, look, it's not wrong to be angry. Anger is a human emotion, right? Paul says, be angry. Jesus, we know, was angry at times when he threw the money changers out of the temple and how he felt toward the religious establishment. But it's wrong when it controls you. So, first of all, it's not wrong to have anger. That's a normal human emotion. But most of our anger, if we're honest, isn't righteous. It's selfish. I didn't get my way. My goals got blocked. My anger is bad when I have wrong motives, when I react quickly without checking out the situation thoroughly, when I don't have good information, when my perceived needs aren't met. I get angry. Degrees of anger from mild irritation all the way to violent rage. Many murders occur when just someone went temporarily insane and their anger flared up. I want to give an example from myself. And I go back quite a ways, but I think it's a really a fitting story. We were in California in our time of seminary and we were finishing up. Uh, our oldest, her firstborn, Philip, was born there and he was really a fussy baby. So there was stress in our home. No church doors had opened up for us yet. And we have this baby that's crying all the time. But he would settle down when we go for a walk. So we put him in the baby carrier. So I was carrying him. We went for a walk and we went to a Christian bookstore in town in Pasadena. So we went in there and I decided I'd listen to some music. You can listen to music then and uh, decide if you wanted to buy that. So I put the headphones on and I'm listening to music. And apparently I was singing or humming or making loud noises because I had the earphones on. Right. You can't hear how loud you are. So Kathy just tapped me on the earphones to get me to quiet down because I'm embarrassing myself and everybody. But when she kept on those earphones, I don't know if it was her shoes on the carpet or whatever. It was like shock. Electricity went through my ears and I yelled really loud at her because, again, I couldn't hear how loud I raised my voice. Philip, right here on my chest, instantly burst into tears. And Kathy, after being yelled at, took him and started walking out. And I said, get back here. Guys, that's not good. That's pretty bad. So that's like 35 years ago, that story, and I still remember it. And just because I told you an old story, I don't want to convey to you like, well, I never have any issues with anger ever anymore. Anger, and I saw it vividly with my own eyes, causes the person's spirit to close up. You know, like flower petals close up at night can lead to physical violence, which is never acceptable. While we were in seminary, I remember a speaker came from the local woman's battered shelter and spoke to our class. And she said that the largest percentage of her clients come from conservative Christian homes. Now, I don't know if that was true or she was making that up because she was an angry liberal and just wanted to abuse us seminary students. I don't know. But I know this. It's never okay to strike, to hit, to use physical violence on your mate your boyfriend, your girlfriend, there's always a better solution. So find it. 
If you're dating someone and they're hitting you, abusing you in some way, get out of that relationship. Don't marry them because they will continue it in marriage. How else do we fight fair? Let's look at a third way. Keep the timing right. Keep the timing right. We see that in verses 26, second part of that verse in verse 27, which says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you've got to deal with it quickly. My good friend Thomas Jefferson has a has a good saying. He says, when you're angry, count to 10 and when you're very angry, count to 100. So Mark Twain picked up on Jefferson's saying and said, when you're angry, count to four. And when you're very angry, swear. I like the Italian proverb that says he who goes to bed angry has the devil for a bedmate. So when you're angry, ask yourself, why? Why am I so angry? What's going on on the inside of me right now? Then speak gently to that person. A couple of Proverbs. 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Of course it does. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Cool down. Go for a walk. Come back and deal with it, because if you don't deal with it over time, the person becomes bitter. Then Satan gets an opportunity, it says in the ESV. I actually like the NIV translation of that word topos, which we get our word topography, which means don't give him a foothold. Don't give him land. Don't give him a place. Anger not dealt with. And just harbored, the person becomes bitter. It opens the door for Satan and he comes right in and stays. He wants you mad all the time. He wants you to say harsh things to each other. So don't, if you're at work or you're thinking of a friend, send them an angry email or an angry text. Just never do that. Calm down, first of all, and then go face to face. And speak to that individual. Number four. Keep it focused. Verse 28. All of us are naturally selfish when Christ is not in control of our lives. This passage deals with theft. And there was a lot of theft in the first century because most of the Roman world were slaves. The majority of the early church Christians were slaves. And so slaves, they stole all the time. Right. They, they didn't have an income. They didn't get paid. So they stole to make up for it. It's totally understandable and perfectly wrong. Don't steal. Paul says, do you steal at work from your boss? Do you steal your boss's time or do you work hard as under the Lord? Now, let's apply this to marriage. Do you steal from your spouse? Do you steal their time? Do you steal their energy? Do you steal their joy? Do you give them the proper attention they deserve? Do you focus on them? Now, sometimes I get easily distracted from that focus I should give. Do you know their needs and dreams? Talk about that. Discuss that. What are your needs? What are your dreams? I do want to know. Marriage is about giving to each other. And you will find as you meet their needs, yours are met. Number five. Keep it positive. Keep it positive. 
verses 29 and 30. What we say to each other in the home and the church is very important. The word corrupting talk there literally means rotten and putrid. It's referencing spoiled milk, spoiled fish. Words can be like that. Name calling, swearing at each other. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty four: You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what comes out of my mouth demonstrates what's in my heart. If a bunch of dirty words come out of my mouth, it shows that I have a dirty heart. Slanders words out of my mouth, gossip out of my mouth. That just reveals what my heart is like. And it hurts a marriage and it hurts the church. So not only don't call each other names, stop with the you messages, right? You always do that. You never 